I think making things is essential. I, I, I think it's something we naturally do. If you look at little kids, they make stuff all the time. Sometimes it's just a mess. <laughs> yeah. But I, I just think that it's, for me, it's just such a core part of who I am. It's, it's a whole language that I'm completely invested in. Hey everyone, welcome to the Meaningful Revolution Podcast, the show where we talk about what people do meaningfully in their lives with the key belief that we can inspire you to double down on your passions. So we believe if you can add 1% more meaning in your life, you can live a life of fulfillment and to your full potential. But most importantly, we're hoping to improve your meaningful work to busy work ratio. So doing the things that you absolutely love. Today, I am really excited for our guest, who is a crafter, artist, non-binary mama, educator, writer, board gamer, sewist, Midwestern queer living in Santa Cruz Mountains, like a gnome, always up to mischief. Uh, they are the owner and creative director of Scape School, a recovering educator, and a prolific maker. And we'll hear that term a lot today. Um, I'd love to introduce you to my good friend, Dara Brady. Dara, uh, welcome to the show. Thank you, Sean. It's great to be here. Awesome. So uh, today we're going to be talking about uh, being a prolific maker because, you know, from our conversations before the, the show and our you know, friendship over time, you know, I know that you're into so many different things where you're creating, you're making things. Like you said, you know, in the intro, you're a sewist. I know that you've done all sorts of art things, you know, and I know you pour your heart into whatever is in front of you, whether that was teaching, um, your scape school now, which maybe we could talk about later. But um, I'd love to know, you know, first, like, why is, could you define maybe what a prolific maker is? for yourself, for the audience, and then why is like artistry and creating and crafting and all those different fields really important to you? Yeah, great question. Um, I think making a prolific maker is for myself, mm -hmm. someone who listens to that quiet, curious voice all the time and just follows it wherever it goes like I, it's sort of like going on a hiking trip but you don't know where you're going you just know that the beginning of the trail looks super interesting and you heard a cool noise down there and you're curious what's gonna appear and so sometimes like right now the rabbit hole i'm down is uh graphic novels and i'm trying to make my own uh graphic novel memoir which we can talk a little bit more about um but sometimes it's, I'm interested in music and sound and I'm aware of the sounds going on. And, um, you know, I used to play piano and so maybe I want to bring that back in my life and let's follow that. It usually for me involves trips to the library, endless uh, <laughs> random searches on every internet thing I can find until my space is physically full and mentally full of stuff so if it's sewing like the room is full of fabric and 
uh, you know, um, patterns and sketches and there's ideas flooding in my head and imagery that I'm looking at and I'm trying to like, where is the thing that is pulling me in? Like almost trying to find the center of this interest. So that's a very long winded way, I guess, <laughs> to say that making is so much a part of who I am. It's, it's like a way of being in the world and at times it feels like a different language. Mm. And I forgot the second part of your question. So remind me. Oh, um, why is this important to you? Or what was there maybe a story of how you got into the embodying making? Yeah, well, I think it's important to me. It's so empowering to make something. Mm. I mean, it can be the littlest thing. Like um, we just moved into a tiny house and I'm not uh, working as an educator for the first time in many, many years, a public school educator. And so trying to save money. And I think of that as like, okay, that's a design challenge. So <laughs> I need a keyboard tray, but I don't want to buy a keyboard tray. So, well, I know how to use woodworking tools and I've seen keyboard trays. So let me go look and see if I can figure out how it's made. And I, to do that, to go through that process. And yeah, it'd be so much faster to just, you know, go on Amazon and order a keyboard tray. But there's something meaningful about like, the tray right in front of me is made from a scrap of wood. And I built this and I put it here <laughs> and it's just where I want it. And it has a story now. And so I think making things feels like making stories and, and making little things, tangible things that help you connect with different parts in your life and different parts of yourself. So it's incredibly meaningful to me. Um, and I think I've always been around makers of one mm -hmm. type or another. Um, so I think growing up in that, it just was a way of being. Um, my dad is an artist and as a kid was always, you know, he was always tinkering around. He wasn't making art when I was young. Uh, I think he was trying to make money for the family to eat and all those things. But there was a wood shop in the basement and there was always scraps of wood and there were always little things you could make and play with. and. I guess I got a lot of attention when I made stuff too. Like mm. you get out the hammer and nails and like your parents are paying <laughs> attention. Like what's going on over there and let's work on safety and things like that. <laughs> but there was a mentorship that would happen immediately. And I think mm. I learned a lot of that from my dad and just being in those spaces. And then my mom's a voracious reader. Mm. So okay. that sort of reading, um, being surrounded by volumes and volumes of books, maybe more than I'll ever read in my lifetime, <laughs> put that, you know, like I'm interested in something. So this is a way you can learn about things. So I think that was set at a really young age. And then, you know, I had to find my own way through that journey to find my own, what's my own way of making and being. Right on. And so I love that idea. You said mentorship and what 
like two great examples to have a parent and your dad who is actively, you know, creating stuff and then have the research to kind of back it up. So, uh, you know, so you have like the research in your mom, you have a, the then translating that into the real world. And uh, there is some type of magic in creating things, whether that's a meal, a chair, a you know, keyboard tray, like something that you can actually see and be proud of, you know, like, like my dad was a carpenter and like a construction worker growing up. So like the amount of pride that he took in like, you know, changing somebody's windows out and making it all kind of look nice and stuff. You know, there's, there's that quality that, that I feel like we miss a lot in this digital world. And like having been a programmer, there's so much work that went into computers that is just like, probably still there in some of the companies I worked at before, probably still working, but it's this abstract idea of, oh, now you can like order things in pounds instead of items, you know, like, what does that really, really mean? So I love that idea of, so getting back to like, when people find meaning in things, it's usually in things that they do or things that they create. And it's usually in relationships. And so uh, having those important relationships and mentoring. So I'm wondering then, how have you taken that model of mentorship and relationship building and, and creating and pulled that into your life now, right? So we talked a little bit about growing up, how, how do those how do those lessons now apply? They apply so much. <laughs> um, you know, I think one thing you just mentioned about like making community, I think, is a big thing. Um, and then also talking about kind of the I think we're touching around this idea of maybe a handmade something versus a you know instant purchased something mm -hmm. um and the instant satisfaction of like oh i have it today right i can go on and order something and it appears and something about the way that we're living at this moment where we've really completely shaken up our you know living space our habits our patterns everything is just like a whole new reinvention and one of those is you know like i said i love to gather books right but mm -hmm. if you're in a tiny house you don't have room for piles of books or you can't get you know to the kitchen <laughs> and so realizing oh the public library like that that's mm -hmm. where i need to reconnect and connecting with that community of other people who love reading is a huge thing and then realizing I, I, we live in a really fairly small town at this point and you know the local library doesn't have everything i want mm -hmm. but i love these moments when i want a book and we don't have it anywhere in our county and they say well we could do a loan you know we could reach out to other counties to try to get it but it's going to be a really long time i mean are you up for waiting and i'm like yeah i'm totally <laughs> up for waiting because now I get to like be excited, right? Mm -hmm. Like when's it yeah. going to come? And then all of a sudden I get this text message, go to the library books there. And I'm like, all right, it's, it's like the most exciting moment of the day. And I think that there's something that I'm enjoying about the anticipation of things that aren't instant. Mm -hmm. So 
Um, that's one part of something that has changed and morphed a bit as we're in this new space. Um, I'm also building community just personally as mm -hmm. I've come out as queer and non-binary, I realized, oh, I need a community of people that understand me, you know? And mm -hmm. so that's a building, that's a researching and where do I find those people? And then how do I make that connection? How do I have a conversation on Zoom in some kind of group and then grow that? So mm -hmm. it's a similar mindset. I think right now, uh, as far as like physical making things, uh, like I said, I'm working on a graphic novel, cool. and which is super interesting. I've never done anything like that. And I am kind of going back to my early education, art school education, where I learned basic drawing skills and composition and design and oh yeah that was helpful and i need to remember let me i'm a little rusty let me start just practicing and practicing and doing that daily practice and figuring mm. out how do these daily practices build up to something bigger mm. and so that's something i'm you know really immersed in and excited about right now just before that it was game boards and <laughs> uh, board game design and who can i talk to about board games and how do they make them and uh you know, what are the mechanics and who's represented? And I just love these little worlds when I bump into something that I don't know anything about. And then I find out there's this whole world and community of people like super geeked out about it. Okay, yeah. I wanna come and watch. <laughs> and I wanna understand this world that I don't know. It's like, I don't know, it's just really exciting for me. Yeah. Right on. So I, I'm, at, this is the question that that came to my head, so I'm just going to ask it. And that's: yeah, Is there a community that you've encountered so far that you were really like impressed with, or surprised about, or or like, oh, this is kind of like I want to be part, I want to replicate this maybe in other parts in your personal life and professional life, or other air or a different community? Yeah, I mean. There's so many, I feel like as an educator, being trained as an educator, mm -hmm. I'm constantly looking at how people put things together and present them and how ideas come to be and how how they create that community. I think as an educator, that's one of the main things you need to do. Mm -hmm. And so I've taken so many different experiences and mushed them all together to create what I'm making, which is Scape School as a company. Mm -hmm. um, some of those influences are IDEO, the design company. They have a IDEO university. And I took some courses there and I, I plucked little bits from that that I enjoyed, that they have cohort classes. So I'm in the class at the same time as other people. That was really meaningful and powerful to me, that there were people from all different walks of life from all over the country and all over the world. That was fascinating to me. Um, I also in coming out, you know, as non-binary really needing support groups, I stumbled across the Billy DeFrank Center in San Jose, which is a LGBTQ 
community center. It's amazing. And they have all these online discussion groups. So I started talking, just joining any random one that I felt like I sort of fit in mm -hmm. and trying them all out and seeing some that felt like me and some didn't feel like me. And some I said, well, I'm going to go two weeks and then decide if it feels like me because sometimes, you know, it's just a different mix of people. Every time there's a different group of people, it's a different space. Mm -hmm. So um, one of my favorite groups that they have is a writing group. So we don't really, it's not really like, let's get together and talk about being queer. It's let's get together and write. And we're going to have serious prompts and ridiculous prompts. One week <laughs> we wrote about socks. Uh, I'm not really sure why, but it was a hilarious <laughs> week. And, um, you know, it, it all comes, all of the parts of our identity come out in writing. And it's mm -hmm. this safe place where we don't have to explain or justify our existence. And so I think those different little experiences are what I'm trying to pull together into escape school. And then also just my years of being in the classroom and the just total trial and error over and over <laughs> and over and fail and get back up and fail and get back up. That is being a classroom teacher. Yeah. Right on. Okay. Uh, could you maybe explain a little bit more about escape school since that's come up a couple of times i'm sure people are thinking like what is that yeah so we're in pre-launch so it's not out there you can't find it <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're hearing top secret things right now Ooh. um <laughs> yeah so it's a community space it's called escape school but it's not like a it's not a replacement for K-12 education or adult education in that way, but it is a learning space. And it's a space where you can continue to work with someone for more than like, you know, a set amount of time, you know, public school is okay. You have this one year with this person. Well, what if that mentor really connects for you on a deep level and then you have to say goodbye? And that doesn't make sense to me. So it allows for a longer mentorship to happen. It's uh, courses, mentorship, and community groups all around arts, writing, and technology. So <laughs> any of the arts, basically, it's my passions currently <laughs> is guiding the courses. Because if I'm not excited and don't care about it, then, you know, none of us are going to have fun. Mm -hmm. So... I go down these rabbit holes of inquiry and interest and research and I make a mess in my studio and then I come out and I say, hey, you want to do this too? Uh, I won't do anything I don't, I, ha I won't ask my students to do anything I haven't done myself. So yes, there will be a graphic noveling class coming up at some point, <laughs> but I first have to make my own so I know what, you know, what the hell I'm doing. And so Scape School, it, it just came out of this need to teach in a different way, in a different space, and to be able to make a really strong, safe statement about LGBTQ plus people and connect with those people through art. And, mm -hmm. and the other part is that I 
it goes along with the mentorship piece. I worked at a school that was multi-age, so I'd have the kids for two years. And um, parents would often say at back to school night after they hear what my plan is for the year, I wish I was in the class. Mm. And I started thinking, yeah, why can't they be? Like, <laughs> why can't grandma come in and learn about 3D printing while their grandchild is? Why aren't we, why isn't it more of a bigger community? Um, and so that's one of the eventual goals is having anybody 10 years old and above mm. mix ages all in one class. And it might be a total mess, but it's just an experiment I have to try because I need to see what happens. I think there's magic in having a common topic in the house like mm -hmm. we're all talking about board game design and maybe the parents or the adults in the house are focused on a more adult version <laughs> of a game and the kids are focused on a more simplistic uh slightly innocent version of the game but we can all talk about game mechanics we can talk about our process and what's frustrating and what's joyful. And I think there's, I learn every day from my five-year-old going on 20-year-old. Um, <laughs> he has great wisdom. So why do we group kids in schools just based on how old they are? Mm -hmm. And I think that's one of the things that I'm trying to question with this business. I absolutely love the idea of getting into a, like somebody's home and having like a common topic because unless it's like Paw Patrol, like I've heard my friends talk about that or not like another like kid focused thing or it's like an adult thing, but to like have that, like, oh, we're all kind of working on building this board game together. Maybe, you know, mom or dad are like, woodworking from one of your courses like the board and then the kids come up with like the story or whatever like i just love that idea of that inspiration for commonality in, in the home you know, just have that that topic so um yeah I, i'm gonna interrupt you i think it, yeah. also that um i heard recently that most couples i'm sorry i can't quote where but i heard recently that most couples speak an average of like 35 minutes a week with each other. Wow. And just the, yeah, it blew my mind. And um, I will find out where, cause I vaguely remember. So I can find out where if you want to actually put it in there. It was a pretty powerful little book uh, about couples and relationships. And mm -hmm. that also made me think about how much do we actually talk with our kids in the house mm -hmm. and talk about anything meaningful. Like, right. do we just talk about what time this is and the chores you need to do and, uh, you know, the, the practical daily stuff? Or do we actually talk about, like, what are you passionate about? What are you curious? What are you thinking about? Mm -hmm. What do you wish we would do? And so I think giving people a space that gives them that inspiration and topic, mm -hmm. I, I just want to see what it does. Yeah. I want to too. I, I think, like I, like I said, I absolutely love this idea, um, and have been very excited for you um, uh, as you've been on this journey of figuring out what Scape School really is. So, um, 
So trying to think of the next best question, because there's a couple of different angles that we could go um, from the, the last bit you just said. Um, so right, we started out wanting to talk about, you know, being a prolific maker. We've talked a lot more about community than I think either of us might have been expecting, which is great. Um, is there from either, um, I don't know how to phrase this. Have there been, as you've been creating, any like big obstacles, struggles, or things that you felt stuck for a while? And how did you maybe work through those? As we all have in those topics, but. Yeah, I don't think you can make without struggling. At least mm. I've never been able to make anything without struggling. Um, I mean, especially if you're truly trying to invent something and it's just a part of the process. I, I, you just, it would be pretty amazing <laughs> and incredibly rare for you just to sit down and make the perfect thing. Like it, mm -hmm. it's just not going to happen. So I call it the murky middle. And, um, I learned at some point that to value and get excited when that happens. Uh, it's a feeling I like, I feel it in my mm. body when I'm in that space, I feel anxious. I feel a little bit annoyed. I'm <laughs> frustrated. I can't mentally figure my way out of it, which is infuriating. I want to try 5,000 possibilities <laughs> in my head and there has to be one of them here and I can't figure it out. And, um, you know, and so that struggle, that murky middle comes up. And then it's what you do in that moment and how can you switch the feeling from, you know, beating yourself up. I think mm -hmm. often I see it in kids, I see it in adults as well. We just right <laughs> get, to that, get to that murky middle. It gets hard. It gets messy. We don't know our way out. And so then we start saying all these horrible things about ourselves, right? Like, mm -hmm. oh, you're not experienced enough. You don't know what you're doing. Like, it, you know, just the voice of give up is just right there. And it would be mm. so easy just to just go, yeah, I'm done. Throw mm. all that junk I collected, just throw it away. I'm going to start something new. This isn't my thing. But I think at some point I learned that that means you're onto something incredible. You just got to give it a little more time. It means that you actually hit on something that doesn't have an easy logical answer. It's not Googleable. It's mm -hmm. something you have to puzzle out. And that might mean, yeah, you just let it sit on the back burner for, you know, mm -hmm. six months. And then all of a sudden, you're like, oh, I know what to do. You know, you, you can busy yourself. I mean, I have multiple projects going on right now. I don't assume that I'm just going to have one project going at any one time. Mm -hmm. I think there's something about keeping yourself moving so that the inertia doesn't set in and you just <laughs> can't move, you know? Mm -hmm. So yeah, I might get stuck on where to go with the graphic novel and I go sit down and play the piano for half an hour. And I might feel frustrated because I screw up at the piano because I haven't practiced and my head wants to beat me up and I just go, yeah, but you're here right now. So let's practice, mm -hmm. you know, or it might be get up and go for a walk and just 
go talk to a friend or listen to a podcast, like get something else in your head. And because that puzzle is still there and you're thinking about it, it's going to seep into the project and you're going to find your solution. So yeah, murky middle. That's where it's that that's when, you know, you're onto the good stuff. Yeah. So I'm so glad you brought up the murky middle because this is something um, it, for the audience, like uh, Dara was a coaching client uh, about a, two years ago now, I think. Something and I, like that. I remember you bringing up this topic of the murky middle and I have shared it with so many people because it's so helpful um, because I think we do all encounter it. And I love the, I, you're definitely, a, I would call a creative person because of like, you get stuck somewhere, you go to a different project to get inspiration, to get a different perspective, to just give your mind a rest, which is all based on like the high performance research that you need to have breaks and, and shake things up. Um, but I hope for the folks listening or watching on YouTube here that you have that note, put it on a sticky note, stick it somewhere that the murky middle is the one, the chance to get excited. Like you want to get excited for that. Um, Cause I, I think the other thing you mentioned years ago, to kind of like wrap this up is that you know when you're in the murky middle you're also like this close through you know to the, oh, the yeah. payoff where you're going to have the creative breakthrough it's going to blossom yeah. and beauty comes from breaking through that that middle part yeah absolutely it's it's you're right there it's like don't give up like this <laughs> is actually you're so close yeah absolutely oh, so good I'm, I'm so glad you brought that up so uh, okay, um, next best question here. Um, I, I guess, are there any other struggles or challenges you want to talk about before pushing forward? You know, the other struggle that comes to mind, I guess we, we have been talking a lot about community, but it comes to that too. I think, mm. I, I guess, because community for me is so important. Certainly right now in my life, I need it so much. And it... I think it's such a part of making. I mean, I'm an introvert. I'm a very proud introvert. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so, yeah, I need a balance of people and not people. Uh, I need a balance of big groups and small groups and all of those things. And I'm aware of that. But the community can be, it, it, it can be, there can be a big community for an introvert, I guess, is what mm -hmm. I'm trying to say. So, Building that for me is essential because when I'm done making a sketch, I want to show it to somebody. Yeah. And I, I think it's this really natural, a friend of mine uh, is a preschool teacher and they were talking about how the, you know kids will be so engrossed in making something, building, 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 building. And then all of a sudden there's this moment and they turn around and they just want to like, look at this thing, right? We all are still those little kids where we're like, yeah. look at this thing, right? And we just want you to say nice stuff. We don't want the criticism or the feedback at that moment. Mm -hmm. We just want somebody to see us because we are in that moment of flow and that energy and we're just proud. So if you're making things and you don't have that community of people that speaks your language, that's going to give you more, like almost throw, you know, food your direction. 
uh, artistic food, making food, you know, your direction, it can be really hard because then you start to question like, why am I doing this? What's the point? I'm just making stuff and putting it in a box, making stuff, putting it in a box. And there is value for yourself. But I think if you have that community, it just like the value just grows so much. Mm -hmm. So on the flip side of that, what I'm not really saying, but I'm going <laughs> to say now okay. is that people can get in your way. Mm -hmm. Um, because not everybody understands what you're doing. And in many cases for myself, I don't even understand what I'm doing. <laughs> I just know that there's just little voice that's making me interested in this particular thing. And so I'm going to walk down that road, but I have no idea why I'm walking down that road. Mm -hmm. And so I can't necessarily articulate it to the people around me instantly, right? So one example is I quit teaching this year. I'm on leave. And yeah, that has financial implications. It can be mm -hmm. really scary. And money brings big feelings for people. Yeah. Not knowing what you're doing for work when you say, I'm, I'm stopping teaching to pursue some other dreams, mm -hmm. then your identity has been boxed in around being an educator. That's one aspect of how people know you. Yeah. So are you never teaching again? Are you, are you leaving teaching? Are you, what are you going to do for money? Like all these really practical, intense questions mm -hmm. came immediately, but I don't have any answer. <laughs> like, I don't know. I know that I need to build this company called scape school. And I know that I need to follow this. And I know that I need to shake up our life because I'm commuting two and a half hours a day and I'm missing our son's early years and I can't do it anymore. I know that my heart is breaking mm -hmm. and not everybody's going to support when you get curious and you shift things because then they have to shift their understanding of who you are and they have to show up differently. And so I just think there's something about editing that's, coming up really big in mm. my mind lately editing not just in you know what i'm doing you're, you're processing all the things you're making and editing what's the good what's the garbage what's the oh i need that back i changed my mind kind of thing mm. but it's also editing the voices around you whether that's on social media or what you're consuming or the people in your house or the people in your community and being thoughtful about that. So I think community is key because if it's not the right community, it can, it can squash you completely. It can say all those awful things that you're already maybe thinking in your head when you're in the murky middle, mm -hmm. they can just come right in and just say it for you. <laughs> <laughs> and then it's hard to get out. So having those people that just are there to enjoy the bad and the good. Right on. That is, it's so true that, especially in the U.S. here, that like your job is is a part of you, and it and it's like you're a teacher, and like just the the way that like the wording and logistics, it's like you were a teacher, you will always be a teacher. Like it, it's this permanent attribute. When like I'm going into like something else, but like 
it would probably be like when you were working as a teacher, you were teachering. Like it's a verb, but it's something that you're doing. And now that you're not like you taught, but like it's in the past. Um, but I, I love, I know that when that, those things change it, again, you know, community is such an important thing because it can help you like, free, you know, calm down when you're freaking out. Like I've <laughs> left corporate America a couple of times now in my life and both times there's always the day, probably three days after you, you've left, you've made that decision, like you're fully committed and you're like riding the high of like, oh, I'm taking control of my life. I feel like I'm engaged. I'm doing great things. And then it's like you wake up and you go into the fetal position in your bedroom and you're like, did I completely mess things up? And like, that's kind of the, the roller coaster and community can help you be like, you're good. Like. You can't get stuck in your bedroom freaking out. You got to come out and like make things happen. Um, so with that said, you know, that aspect of community that like, you know, so that's a double-edged sword. It could either smack you down or, or pull you up. Um, but saying you got the community part right, I'm wondering, do you have any other habits or other strategies or tactics when you're in that messy middle, when you're the mi messy middle of a huge life transformation or in the middle of like, I guess a project that could be considered a project, but um, do you have any, what do you do in those moments where you, you need to like yourself, like pump yourself up in order to get through to the next action of creating or sewing or whatever building. Yeah. Um, well, there's three things that came to mind. One is when I find myself closing down, and this is something that I'm still working on, I, I hit a really low point over the past year. And I think it was a mix of, I was in the wrong community, I was in the wrong space, I was not being supported, and um, was dealing with a lot of really aggressive things happening towards me and my identity. And I tend to go towards the invisible. That's my go-to is make myself <laughs> smaller, take up less space, don't let people notice me, then, then there won't be any lashing out. And I've noticed even now that I'm in, I feel like a really good space community-wise, mm -hmm. everything-wise, um, that tendency can still creep up. So I can still go towards things are getting hard, things are overwhelming, I'm gonna go invisible. My good friend calls it screensaver mode. And <laughs> awesome. I, I'm here, but I'm not really here, right? So um, I'm actually, my feelings, my thoughts, they're all deep way down in and I'm, you know, showing up at dinner and I'm talking, but I'm not actually present and here and my full self. And so what I've been starting to do is when I get those rumblings in my body, I usually feel it in my body first, like um, I feel off, I feel tense, speak up is what I say in my head. Mm. When you feel like getting small, speak up. Something is happening that is um, causing me to not feel as safe, to not feel ready. So I think speaking up is huge. Um, the other thing that is, and, and sorry, going back to that, because when I don't speak up, mm -hmm. 
then I get smaller, I get more invisible, and then, yeah, it's the can't get out of bed. It's the can't do the things I love and the creativity I want because of this interaction that's really problematic, right? And so how do I get myself out of it? I try not to get there. <laughs> I work really hard not to get there. And it takes a lot of work, intentional work, and one of them is speak up. The other thing is routines. I don't have massive amounts of routines. I, at one point, was planning like every little thing because I love a good spreadsheet and I love a good planner. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, plan everything when I'm having breakfast, everything, you know, gonna build this super planner. And I discovered that it just stressed me out. Mm -hmm. And I didn't feel this like freedom and room in the day. So I realized how many routines do I actually need? And if they're starting to stress me out, then they probably need to change. One of the big ones for me is I knew this year as I'm just recovering as an educator, recovering as a human from so many things happening in our world and for me personally, I knew I needed to get my body moving. Mm -hmm. I knew that I was not exercising enough. And I knew that I needed a creative connection like first thing in the morning. So one of my big routines at this point we live a few blocks from a state park and so I hike every single morning and I'll tell you the first couple weeks I had said I'll hike for an hour it was way longer than an hour <laughs> I just needed to sit and just like go in the middle of the forest and then just decompress like I think there is something about that we were talking about after leaving corporate America and just like yeah you want to curl up in the fetal position like yeah you just want to just sit there and I think that's part of it you have to just give yourself time to sit there yep. you just have to like shake all that off so I hike every morning and at this point it is about an hour. I do 20 minute hike there. I do a 20 minute sketch or writing on whatever I want and then 20 minutes back. So that's a huge, really stabilizing routine. No matter what's going on, I don't have to look pretty. I don't have to <laughs> smell good. I don't have to do anything except get my hiking boots on and the backpack is always ready. I think having things ready ahead of time is a big deal to keep you going on the key routines like that backpack. I'm looking at it because it's hanging on the wall right here. It's always <laughs> ready. So it's just grab the backpack, hiking boots on, walk out and just start walking. And it doesn't require anything else of me. So I think routines is huge. And then um, for me, taking my time, like just allowing myself that it's okay that my pace is different. I don't have to rush through an emotion. I don't have to rush through to get high energy. I can just be angry or be sad and just, yeah, I'm just sad today. And I'm gonna take some time, I'm gonna cry, I'm gonna journal about it, I'm gonna make something, I'm gonna keep trying things because I don't like feeling sad or angry, <laughs> but I'm gonna keep moving, you know, and I'm gonna reach out. I'm gonna reach out like crazy. The second I'm not feeling myself and I'm just feeling super off and scared or whatever those uncomfortable feelings are, I must text like 30 people. It's ridiculous. <laughs> and sometimes it's just like, hi, how are you? Because <laughs> I don't <laughs> want to talk about my stuff. Yeah. I just want 
somebody to get me out of my head for a minute. Yeah. And so it's just, I reach out and then these lovely, again, that community is coming back. These mm -hmm. lovely connections come back. Hey, how are you? Hey, you want to go for a hike? Yeah, let's do it tomorrow morning. Let's go get coffee. Like those things just happen. And then I, you know, I get out faster from that little dark cave. Yeah. That's amazing. And so I hope again, people listening took some notes on there because it, like you said, you're, you know, you were teaching my last couple of years with the pandemic and all that. I know how hard the teaching community at large really worked to try to be there for the students and, and try not to smooth over any disruption. And I know there's a lot of like talking with you a couple of years ago, like the whiplash of like switching directions, like four or five times a week when you're like, okay, I just did all this work. Now I have to like shove it aside and start over the, the, this huge, huge effort. And I feel like, you know, we had this collective crisis moment as uh, species, you know, as humans, like one defining experience that we all were touched by in certain, some certain way. And it's so easy when we all kind of like shelled up, like you were saying, like our kind of get smaller, try to get invisible because there are a lot of like physical threats with what is this virus and how does it spread and all that stuff that was really scary. It was, it was a very like, who's going to get sick and what, what does that mean type thing. And I wanted to highlight, you mentioned like when you have a little bit of inertia and momentum in that space, you can get stuck there. So I know from like my coaching business right now, there are a lot of people that are still in this like, you know, turtle mode where I don't want to like leave the house. I'm still afraid that I'm going to get sick. You know, we have the, you know, vaccines and stuff, but I'm still kind of emotionally not ready to go out there or you're past that. And you're trying to just cope with this new world and what it means and all the craziness with it. And, um, you know, I love that you mentioned routines because I think the way out of the shellness, out of, you know, just trying to learn how to manage your emotions in this new world, that it's the routines that, that ground you, that give you that discipline that, you know, I know that I got a 40 minute walk and 20 minutes of a creative endeavor to just center myself. That is so, so super important. So, you know, so it's super important for Dara here, but I wanted to blow it up to that. We all have that had this experience and it's applicable to every single person. So, um, so universal truth. And I just wanted to tell, I guess, go on a little story rant there. Um, so. Yeah. Yeah. I think oh, if ahead. I can interrupt you, yeah, I yeah, think yeah. it, um, I think the routines just, they mean a lot. I, I found even like with my son, now that I get to be home and pick him up after school and get that joy, but also the like, what are we going to do for this many hours and trying to figure that out and wanting him to have time to be bored, have time to, you know, mess around and not just structure every minute of his day, but also how do we find our rhythm and it, Mm -hmm. You know, going to the library, I mentioned how much I love the library at this point. And so I don't go by myself. I go with him mm -hmm. and we go together. And so having those routines of, oh, this day is library day. Um, this day is grocery store day. <laughs> and it can be simple things. But it, um, if 
you're doing them with someone you love and you enjoy them, it, it's something to look forward to. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the rest of my day is really structured around just one thing. What's the one thing I need to do today? And so like today, it's this podcast. How do I show up today (laughs) for the podcast, right? How do I, what are the things I want to do in the morning? Oh, I definitely want to go on my hike and get some sketching in. Um, Yeah, probably going to want to take a shower for the podcast. (laughs) You know, the the practical things. But if you're focusing just on what's the one big thing, then it feels so doable. Like, oh, Mm -hmm. it's just the one thing. And then invariably that one thing is, takes a lot less time and is way easier than I thought it was going to be. And I end up with extra time. And so now it's like bonus time. Like, great. What am I going to do now? Oh, I could go play. Um, (laughs) Or maybe there's something else I can finish on this project. And then it can be a day ahead, you know? And so I just wanted to mention that is definitely a part of my structure as well, too. Awesome. I'm a, a huge proponent of the number one thing, the daily mission. Um, because And just like you said, it's so simple. You know what you got to do. You do it. Inevitably, you're like, okay, I should do some more. And th- the ball gets rolling. So I absolutely love that insight um, and connect with it. So right on. Um, so uh, real quick, I- I'm curious, we're talking about prolific making, we're talking about community. So we'll kind of merge those two topics because that's what the conversation, that's where it led us today. Um, Do you have like two or three influences when you think about the act of being a maker or being building a making community maybe um, that you think, oh, these are really good resources or these are really good examples of how to embody Ooh, that's a hard one. Because I'm I'm thinking like most of mine are sort of personal, you know, they're Mm -hmm. not um, more universal applicable. I guess for me, it's just finding someone that's passionate about something and then just asking them a ton of questions about it. So it can be really anyone. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like... You know, when I was interested in sewing, right? And I was kind of like, oh, I'm curious about this. And my son was maybe a year old, maybe not even. I just needed to get out of the house and do something for me. Mm-hmm. And so I signed up for a class at the local fabric store. And it turned out that I was the only one that ended up enrolling that night. And the teacher said, I said, oh, do you want to just, I can join another class. Like I felt bad mm-hmm. her being there just for one person. And she said, no, no, it's fine. We'll just enjoy the evening together. She ended up being one of my really good friends at this point. (laughs) We just had a blast. I had no idea how to load the thread through the machine or what the bobbin was or what anything's called. I I used a sewing machine like twice in my life. And I didn't know certainly how to make a garment. In the end of the evening, I had, you know, most of a garment. And I was like stunned. And so then I took more classes from her. And then I took more. And then I found in those classes other people who were also interested in the same mm-hmm. things I was. And then I started realizing that, oh, clothing isn't just this thing I put on. Clothing is this reflection of my identity. Oh, I'm super curious about that. 
what does that mean? So we talk more about that. And then I start looking at all these different sorts of clothing. And then I say, oh, well, what shows are about fashion? I've always thought of fashion as like this really superficial thing that I don't want to care about. And suddenly yeah. I was like, oh, wait, it is like, it's a whole world. So to say, oh, these are some influences, go and check out. I feel like I'd just be saying, go to Pinterest. I don't know. Like, <laughs> um, because... For me, it's, yeah, find people in your community that are making something, you know? Mm -hmm. If there was somebody down the street who's making uh, handmade shoes, like, I'd be super down there, like, checking it out. Because something <laughs> that's, like, in the back of my mind, like, I'm really curious about that. Mm -hmm. I don't know how you make shoes. That sounds cool. Um, so I think, yeah, it's, it's finding the people in your community that are already making and mm -hmm. have a craft, per se, or have an art that you're curious about. And I think there's so much value in showing up clueless. As long as you just embrace that you're clueless. I, I think it's super fun to ask dumb questions and be like, <laughs> I don't know why I just sewed, like that I was making this garment at one point and I sewed all the holes closed. Like I was supposed to hem the bottom and I just sewed the front and the back together and the sides. And I just was like, I guess I made a pillow. <laughs> you know? And there's, there's comedy in those moments. Yeah. And if you can go in, just have zero expectations for yourself, except I'm going into a world I don't know or understand and I'm going to learn something. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's how I would get connected with things is just find the people in your community, community colleges, any sort of, yeah, just Google whatever you're curious about. There's people. Right on. So I'll, I'll plug Scape School here. I think you would be a really great mentor if you've connected with, with Dara to check that out. Um, I'm not sure if you have a pre-launch page or not, but um, keep an eye I don't. I don't yet. I'm keeping everything pretty close right now because I, I want to be really intentional about what I'm doing. Okay. But it will be coming soon. I can't say when, but I will let you know so you can let people know. Right on. Yeah, we'll definitely we'll have you, you back on to, to talk all about Scape School. Um, and I, I wanted to get your thought on how much of exploring these topics. And I love the, the innate curiosity you have about the world and you know, some people would call like the beginner's mind of just like, I showed up, I asked all the dumb questions. It was really fun. Um, but so this idea of play, like it, it always, when you describe delving into one of the many things that you're interested, you know, at the moment, that there's the sense of like exploration and, and fun and, and playing. Could you talk a little bit about that a bit more? Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I think play is so undervalued and is, just uh yeah the core part of my being is just to play and mess with stuff sometimes to the point of breaking them like I, i'm very <laughs> comfortable with it. things will be broken um it, one thing comes to mind is like also just in in drawing class in uh undergrad and i would t you know you're working with charcoal on paper you do, everything's black and white, you, including your hands and everything, mm -hmm. you're breathing, just charcoal everywhere. And I would just 
overdo it. Like I just go to the point where basically I have a black piece of paper at the end. And I think you almost have to go to this point of destruction to go, mm-hmm. okay, well that was too far. Like you have to play the musical instrument way too loud to go, oh, okay, now I understand what softer is, yeah. right? And so I think, yeah, play has to be, for me, a part of the process and it's messy and it's, um, it's the only way to create something new and to figure out who you are mm-hmm. and to understand how something works. Like I, I can't understand how something works until I take it apart and look at all the pieces and I try a million different ways of doing it. Well, what happens if I do that? Or what if I do this? Like I, I'm learning how to knit and uh, I'm a mm-hmm. very beginning knitter. And I took one class and they showed me how to knit and how to purl. And I went, okay. okay. That's, those are words. I don't know those words, but okay. (laughs) I don't know how I did it, but okay. And you said that I'm knitting too tight, which is a very common thing. It's like, you can't even move the the sticks around. And then I started going, well, what happens if I knit one, purl one, knit one, purl one? What does that look like? Oh, okay. Why did that do that? And then uh, what happens if I, you know, knit a row and then purl a row and then knit Mm -hmm. a row and purl? Like just play with, like, it's just this constant, asking of questions. What mm-hmm. if this? And I think that's what I'm trying to do with escape school. It's like, what if I just disrupt this whole education thing altogether? And yeah. we just throw something different out there. So I think play, play also doesn't have a lot of parameters around it. Yeah. Like there's no expectation of a result. There's no expectation of really rules a lot. Mm-hmm. I mean, sometimes I think we put too many rules on the playground. <laughs> but if we think about the playground at the local park, you know, as long as you're not hurting someone else, like you can be a dragon if you want to be a dragon. It doesn't matter. And then you can turn <laughs> into a cow. Like, I don't know. It's, um, it's whatever you want to try out. And so mm-hmm. I think as adults, we judge that and don't give ourselves space to play mm-hmm. like those uh painting classes you know where everybody makes the same painting the wine yep. and painting yep. class yep always well, like i don't understand that there's no there's no risk there's mm. no play really there's just an activity and i don't know i get a little bored so yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh. I'd probably be the one in like, well, yeah, okay, the tree's supposed to be brown, but what if I just mess with these two colors and turn the painting sideways and put the tree all over the place, you know? <laughs> uh, yeah. I I love that uh, the world is mine to shape kind of mentality. You know, like, I think that's a common thread I've noticed through our conversation in that, you know, like you can do the easy thing and buy like the keyboard tray again to go, go back to that. Or I could use this scrap piece of wood. I could use some woodworking skills that I've learned over the time. I could then paint it to be, to look like a dragon or whatever. And now I have this custom cool thing that has a story that's a little bit more true to who I am. Uh, that's, that would be my keyboard tray would have a dragon on it, you know, but you know, um, yeah, it'd be totally fun. And like, you know, like, so I'm going to share this thing. Like what, this is my favorite time of year, right? Recording this in October because we put up our, um, 
Halloween decorations, right? And it's very modest. My favorite thing the last like seven years I've been with my wife is we have this like thing we hang on our door that's like a witchy cat. It's a cat with like a witch hat on it, right? And mm-hmm. like has like a glitter collar. And then when Thanksgiving hat, so when Halloween's over, we put up Thanksgiving decorations, which is basically take down most of the Halloweens. But we leave that cat up, and we've created this um, uh, color paper like Thanksgiving hat that we put on the top of that cat, right? And it makes me so happy and it's silly and there's no purpose to it. I'm sure all our neighbors are like these 40 year olds are super childish, but like, and then after Thanksgiving, Christmas comes up, we have a Santa hat and beard that we put on that cat and it's my favorite thing, you know, it, it, it's so dumb. But it's playful, it's silly, like, we both, like, every time I walk in my apartment, I'm like, oh, this is really hilarious, you know. Um, but that's that's the beauty of play and, and creativity, I, I think, you know, just to kind of try to land this <laughs> in our conversation. Well, and you, you end up somewhere you didn't know you were going to go to, yeah. right? Like, you probably bought the cat thinking, like, oh, this is funny or silly or we like it, yeah. whatever, you hang it up. And then you've got it there, and now you suddenly have a thing where it's like, well, I don't want to take the cat down, but it's the next holiday that we're yeah. celebrating. How can I customize, right? And yeah. so you allow yourself that silliness and yeah. to be silly, and then you have this great like connection to your wife, and yeah. also, you know, joy for you every time you <laughs> see this ridiculous thing. Yeah, yeah, I I think we need to laugh at ourselves a lot more and yes. just be silly Mm -hmm. everybody's i don't know trying to be real serious and look like an adult and i feel like (laughs) i just want to look more like a kid Mm -hmm. like you know crazy socks and all just (laughs) whatever whatever's gonna bring me joy in that day and maybe make somebody else laugh then it's worth it it's worth the play totally and again it's like that question what if you know just how long can we take the stupid cat thing, right? What how, what if we did a Valentine's Day one and we just tried to keep it year-round, you know? Like, no purpose, but okay. Enough on that damn cat. Um. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I'm curious, if you were to get started in a new makerspace, right? So we've covered knitting, sewing, um, garment making, potentially shoemaking, uh, woodworking, um graphic novel making, uh, drawing. So like if you're, when you're going into a new space, like, do you have like, uh, two or three habits, um, for a beginner in any new space or best practices or, or something of that nature that you would recommend or that you do as you're thinking about that for yourself? Are you talking about in making the space? as a creative act are you talking about like how do i start making a studio space or oh it's more of like i want to learn how to make fishing rods or i want to learn how to bake the best chocolate chip cookie or i want to learn how to like so you're getting into like maybe a new field is a another way uh-huh. to phrase it like do you, do you have like a, okay i gotta do this i gotta do this i gotta do this just to kind of get in the space 
Yeah. Uh, well, I think there's some basics. I mean, definitely you got to find the people. You have to find the mentor. Who's going to mm -hmm. teach you this thing? Is it going to be like, what's your format? Do I want to learn this solo? And I don't really want to talk about it with anybody. So I'm going to just go onto YouTube and learn the skills of mm -hmm. the thing. Do I want to explore the why of the thing? Like, why is knitting interesting to me suddenly? What is it about that? So maybe I want to read some books about the history of knitting. And so there's some research and more thinking kind of things. And then there's just like the tools, right? So what are the tools that I'm going to need to do this activity? Do I, am I so passionate about this activity that I need to invest in the top of the line tools, probably shouldn't bother doing that. But, you know, maybe there <laughs> yep. is some reason justification. It's, it's an adjacent skill to something you already have. And it's something you're trying to build out for a greater purpose, then maybe investing in really nice tools for that thing. But is there a beginner set? What would they recommend? Mm -hmm. And that's where the mentor comes in. You know, what, what are some beginner tools? What makes it easier right now? Um, and then I also find that telling people is a big thing. So mm -hmm. telling okay. other people what I'm interested in and what I'm thinking about helps me understand a little more why I'm interested because they'll say things and then I can bounce off of it or they have connections to that topic that I hadn't thought about. And it also, if it's like people in your household or people in the shared space where you're going to be working and doing this activity, I think it's important to give them a heads up. Like, <laughs> hey, I'm really getting into canning. And <laughs> so there's going to be a pot with like apples brewing because we're going to be making applesauce for the next, you know, eight weeks. And I've got the peeler and, you know, like these are the tools I need to assemble and how much space and time and the whole house is going to smell like applesauce for the next eight weeks. Are you going to be okay with that? Or do I need to go to like a, <laughs> you know, a neighbor's house or a kitchen, a commercial mm -hmm. kitchen? Do I need to take a class and just do it there? And so I think having those conversations before you even start is helpful because then you know, okay, like it's totally cool. They're going to support me. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I also like with my wife, I, you know, I'll say like, yeah. And if you want to bring me some chocolate and tea in the middle of my work time, like you have, you can totally interrupt me. <laughs> and so I just bring, bring the fuel and I'm totally happy with it. So having that conversation with the people that potentially your new activity is going to impact because mm -hmm. I can't think of a activity where you're making something that isn't going to have an impact. Even if it's just on the screen, you're going to be sitting, staring at your screen for long periods of time. And so that probably requires a conversation, yeah. you know, with people around you. So. Right on. That sounds like a, a, a well lived, hard earned lived experience. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah i mean i've definitely had moments of like you know uh my wife just going like i need to be able to get through here or <laughs> you know uh, i've been lucky that for a while now i've had my own space mm -hmm. that you know this is my own studio space that i'm in and so i can you know leave it a total disaster and it's, it's not going to impact anybody else having that space is super valuable, like carving out. Mm -hmm. I've done, you know, little spot in the garage, a little spot, you know, in the corner 
just some place where I can leave stuff a mess and come back to it because that's a key part of my process is only disruption by me so that I'm aware of kind of where I left off. Yeah. So yeah, definitely have learned how to how to manage that. <laughs> but you know, if it's a small thing, if it's like knitting, right? You have a little basket with your stuff and it can be in your bag or whatever. And that's yeah. probably not gonna impact people too much. Um, but if it's, you know, woodworking, you're gonna have sawdust everywhere. So you, yeah. it's a conversation to have. Yeah, or a half finished table in the living room for forever. Uh, yeah, totally. Uh-huh. Okay, so um, I want to wrap up uh, with two qu- two more questions, right? So I know we're a little bit looking at time, but um, we're good. Is there a belief or mindset that you hold that others don't uh, when you come to like the philosophy or what like I said, mindset or belief on creating things? I think making things is essential. I, I I think it's something we naturally do. If you look at little kids, they make stuff all the time. Sometimes it's just a mess. <laughs> yeah. But I, I just think that it's, for me, it's just such a core part of who I am. It's, it's a whole language that I'm completely invested in. I think I, I don't know. I, I can't imagine my life without it. So it's really hard to um, get at what is the fundamental belief there other than just it has to exist. <laughs> I think um, it's just, it is. I'm, I'm looking outside right now out my window and we, uh, my son and I found this Adirondack chair that had a couple broken parts on it and we decided that that was going to be our little project. And so mm. we started yesterday sanding all the old paint off and taking it apart and so that's laying in pieces we have a play structure that we're refinishing somebody who's kind of a hand-me-down play structure um that he's really excited about making it into almost a pirate ship kind of look and so we're working on that there's gardening projects and you know i i think our life is full of projects and i maybe the maybe the belief there is that unfinished things around are okay and they they just have this for me this simmering potential everywhere Mm. so what is the thing i'm just going to keep keep feeding right i keep keep watering this tree (laughs) and if you (laughs) neglect a project for too long then it becomes hard to get back to it so it's Mm. this little bit of a fun game of running around and doing a little bit of this and a little bit of that and a little of this and then a lot of this one thing that I'm super into and then oh my gosh everything else falling apart I better go run and do those things so <laughs> I don't know I don't I don't have a, a pithy phrase for you I think it's just a way of probably just a way of living for me I think that's the unconventional belief that that making is a way of life it is you know and something that I often like trying to see themes throughout the whole podcast of the meaningful revolution, you know, the act of creating is one of the things that where people do find a lot of fulfillment, a lot of joy, a lot of, of that meaning in their life. Right. So whether that's a relationship you're creating or, you know, 
a movement well, of changing the schoolscape, you know? Well, I think it's also there's something about making something physical mm -hmm. that either you can hold or you can point to or you can see that gets at something that is a core curiosity for you, right? To say, yeah. I made this thing is a pretty amazing statement. Yes. It, and it's a universal experience humans have had over eons of time. I think it's it's hardwired into us, I, I believe, you know. Yeah, somebody said, you know, uh, look at food. Like, we mm. need food for nutrition, nourishment, energy to keep going. But that doesn't explain what we do with food. I mean, <laughs> this, like, dance, this ceremony, this ritual, the recipes and the mixing and the, all this stuff, like... We don't actually need any of that for yeah. just physical nourishment, but we yeah. do this whole thing, right? And it's yeah. the same kind of thing. Like, I don't have to have a keyboard tray that I handmade, but there's <laughs> something about that. Like, I'm going to sit yeah. here every day, right? It's, mm -hmm. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. No, right on. Okay, so final question for you, and I love asking this question. It's, what habits do you have, like, one or two that you that keep you on purpose every day, every week, or every like month. Um, I'm trying to think of things that I haven't already mentioned. Well, we can, go, we of, can do a callback. You know, <laughs> no, I think a, a lot of the um, you know, the routines, the putting the one one important thing to do that that day. Um, I have a pretty heavy practice of of reaching out to people hmm. often trying to get you know a few text messages or calls or seeing people every day uh which is a lot for an introvert yeah. but it feeds me a lot i think also having reminders around like i always have a lot of stuff on the walls um so you can't see all these things but there's a board over here that's sort of um a mix of long-term goals, what the point of my company is, why I'm building it, just these core statements, a list of what do I want in my life. So doing this reflective practice, I do very often. I'm always asking myself these big questions so that I'm checking in. And then I don't just like file them away in some notebook in a drawer. Like they're up so that I'm looking, if I'm feeling doubtful, I'm looking over like, oh, I'm reaching like nine out of 10 things on the what I want list, right? And then um, in front of me, I have this card I made, I call it my oh shit card. Um, <laughs> and it's right in front of me always for when the shit hits the fan. And it's like, do these things, you know, like get moving, there's no excuses, uh, take a deep breath, go make something, making is on it. Like make a piece of origami, play a song on the piano, watch a YouTube video about making something, um, just kind of lose yourself in learning something else, um, shrink the problem. So I change my perspective um, and then think about how I can help somebody else for a few minutes and not think about myself. So I have that in front of me. Um, there's a board over here. Uh, it's so hard to point in the camera. Uh, this skinny one over there um, that has um, a list of my greatest fears in what I'm doing. Mm. And then I put over the top of it what I can say instead. 
Ooh. So it just says fears, but then like, okay, I'm afraid I'll totally fail. Okay. You're going to be successful. Like whatever the, <laughs> the counter is that I need, it's there. I love that. There's also a letter that a parent wrote me many years ago when I was teaching her son. Uh, that was just this profound thank you letter of my impact. So if I question my impact, I just go there and read it. Um, and then the rest are project boards of things that I'm working on. Um, I have a, uh, over on this side, I have a board called the parking lot. Uh, nice. I always use that in the classroom <laughs> for the random questions that people ask. And it's like, well, we're not gonna answer that right now. We'll put that over there for later. My brain does that often. When you're interested <laughs> in a lot of things, you have too many ideas to possibly do in your life. So I just stick them over there and then I feel like they're there. And if I need them, I can get them, but it's not time for them right now. So yeah, I think uh, like filling, building your space is a key part for me of helping to stay focused on what I'm doing. Like that, that one post-it goes right here on my computer so that it's the thing I'm staring at when I sit down. Right on. Well, thanks for giving us a tour of your studio. Um, but I, I think another way to, to, to phrase it, especially for the folks that are listening to this and can't see the pointing, um, <laughs> it, it, it's all about creating, like, again, making reminders in your environment to cue you when you know you're going to get caught up, which I think is a really, like, super Jedi mind trick thing that you have that list of fears that you then have, like, post-it notes over of like, no, like this is what I say when I, when this pops in my head to kind of, when you can notice it, you have the resource or you're like, oh, I'm actually thinking that right now. I have the reminder of what I need to say, like, let's get into it. Or like, this is the procedure when I feel really stressed out. And as you said, shit hit the fan. You have your oh shit card, which is, I love. Um, so um, build your environments keep creating, you know, creating things and physical things is a way of life. It's a way of living. Uh, it's a way of feeling or feeling meaning in your life. So uh, Dara, if people want to follow up with you, uh, what's the best way to maybe, maybe there's like your social media account to see when Scape School comes up if people are interested, what would that be? Absolutely, yeah. The best place would be on Instagram. Um, my handle is at art tech teach cool i'll put that in the show yeah, notes you can find below. me there and the second scapeswell is live it will be you know announced there as well but you can also find out about you know my hiking and playing with a five-year-old and all <laughs> kinds of things like that so that's the best place to connect with all my curiosities right on it's pretty fantastic as someone that follows that account myself so uh, dara Thank you so much. Uh, please follow them at on Instagram, like they said. Uh, really super grateful that you're here. I thought this was a really great conversation. I really am excited to get this out to folks, but thank you so much. Hope to have you back on the show here when Scape School is live. Thank you, Sean. This was a blast. Two things that people have in common when they find their meaning, their fulfillment, their, their joy in life 
is that they're creating things and they're building community. And I love that Dara touched on that during their talk today on the, the podcast. So some of the, the big takeaways, uh, again, I absolutely love the, the murky metal idea and to have that as a call to double down, to, to maybe switch gears a little bit and, and really see the project through because as a software developer, I don't know how many times in the middle of a software project, you know, things go sideways and things can really drag on and it can be demoralizing. It, it can really, you know, have you burn out on what's going on. You get so focused on trying to make something work and it's not working and you start to neglect your relationships and your health. And so it is such an important thing to be aware of. There is this murky middle when you're trying to figure stuff out and you want that feeling of almost being stuck and not knowing how is this going to work out because that's usually where there's some magic for you coming up so and i also love that that creating is a way of life it's a way of being it's part of our identity and i think as we're talking uh, in the meaningful revolution more about how do we design a life that we want that we should be listening for those ideas with the the guests that were listening so you know how do i want to live and in dara's case they want to be constantly creative constantly curious and learning new things which at a, a very core values level is something that i am also super into so any case uh be sure to check out some of the previous episodes. I know this is the beginning of season four of the Meaningful Revolution podcast. I'm very proud of, of the work we've been doing and how we've been figuring stuff out. I hope you enjoyed it if you've been with us on the journey. And if you are just joining us for the first time, this is a really amazing way to get started. So as we go forward, uh, make sure please do me a favor and share this with three of your friends who you think might need a little bit of inspiration, might need a little bit of that contagious passion that can really help us focus on building and designing the life that we want and not living a life that has been designed for us. With that said, we'll see you in the next episode. And this is Sean Butter. <laughs>